Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. following podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. As far as the blood spatter goes, we see blood spatter on Bob, on his shorts and on his shoes, I believe. What did that suggest? Based on the droplet pattern on his shoe, that suggests at some point his shoe was beneath her head, probably very soon after the shot was fired. I'm talking with prosecutor Ken Lewis about the blood evidence in the Bob Ward murder trial. How do you explain the fact that there is blood everywhere, but Bob barely had any blood on him? I mean, that's not necessarily uncommon under those circumstances. He's not gonna be trying to get blood on him. Think about that. So he fires the gun, he moves away very quickly. He didn't have any blood on his shirt. He had a little bit of blood on his shorts and on his shoes down lower. That's defense attorney James Fellman. It is so stupid that it blows my mind that the state could make such an argument, but they didn't have anything else to work with. There was a significant amount of blood evidence inside the ward's master bedroom. But like so much in this case, what that evidence actually reveals is entirely up for debate. I believe that they argued, and he picked up a gun, and he shot her. Not a single person that knows my family thinks that he did this. He was a very smart person. But the other side was the nasty side. This is not a murder. This is the opposite of a murder scene. If this was some tragic accident, wouldn't he have tried to look for a pulse? 
There is not physical evidence. And you have a trail of people who didn't do their goddamn job. There's a verdict in the murder trial of Isleworth millionaire Bob Ward. Do you think this was an accident or a murder? I, I really can't say. From Discovery Plus, ID, and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, Mystery at the Mansion, a nine-part podcast that takes a deep dive into the story of a family torn apart. A trial turned into a media spectacle and investigates the mystery. What really happened to Diane Ward? When police meet Bob Ward at his home on the evening of September 21st, 2009, he is wearing a white polo shirt and plaid shorts. The same outfit, presumably, that he had on when his wife was shot less than an hour before. Detectives would later examine Bob's clothes and find only the tiniest amount of blood, six little specks on his right pant leg and a few drops on his right shoe. The walls and floor of the ward's master bedroom, however, reveal a much more gruesome scene. The question is, can the amount and location of Diane's blood, both on Bob's person and inside the master bedroom, tell us anything more about what happened that night? We reached out to Stuart James, a forensic scientist whose main area of interest is bloodstain pattern analysis. Approximately one month after Diane's death, Stewart analyzed the blood spatter at the Isleworth home. What did you know about the case as you were driving up into the driveway of this house? Not very much, uh, just that a shooting had occurred. And um, Mr. Kirkconnell wanted me there to give my evaluation of the blood patterns. If you remember, Kirk Kirkconnell was Bob Ward's original defense attorney. So you're going in there blind. Describe what it was like to walk into the bedroom. Well, the scene had not been cleaned up. So everything was there except for what the crime scene investigators from Orange County removed for evidence. And um, there were still some bloodstains on the wall and on the bed as well as uh, on the floor. Where do you start in a scene like this? Well, I've been trained uh, over the years to start, you know, from the body area and work backwards away from the area. I think the first thing I recognized was the pool blood, which uh, at that point I felt, well, this is probably the final position of the victim, you know, on the floor. What was much more interesting and probably more important would be the patterns on the wall. There were several projected patterns on the lower wall beneath the west side window. And these were more to the south, closer to the headboard of the bed, that direction. Then looking at the floor, there was a trail of blood that led back toward the west side of the bed. What were you making of the scene and the blood spatter at the time? Like what was going through your head? Where was she before she fell? And then we take that a little further, maybe we can tell where, where she was approximately when she received the gunshot. So that was our ultimate goal, to try to do that at least. Right, so about a month or two later, you get the actual crime scene photographs. Correct. The crime scene photos of the Isleworth house 
are as unsettling as you might imagine. A few photos reveal a home with large, sparsely decorated rooms. A wide spiral staircase leads up to the master bedroom, which upon first glance is also unremarkable. A bed with two nightstands sit against the far wall, a large flat screen TV at its base. The bed covers are pulled back from the left side, the first sign of any disturbance. The next photo reveals Diane Ward. She is lying in the fetal position on the floor with her head backed up nearly against the wall. Her eyes are wide open. A sizable pool of blood has formed, emerging from a single gunshot wound to the left of her nose. Diane's body has become soaked in blood. Shoes, pants, her hands, her face, everything. The next thing you notice are the round blood marks on the wall. They are about two and a half feet above the ground. Big, dramatic circles dripping down towards the floor. Droplets are scattered about the carpet in a haphazard manner between Diane's body and the side of the bed, which is just a few feet away. What happened in the bedroom isn't immediately obvious. It's an extremely messy scene, but it's confined to a relatively small area in the room. Looking at the photos, your mind goes all over the place trying to figure out what happened. And the closer you look, the more questions arise. For one thing, the blood spatter on the wall is down around Diane's waist level, which strikes me as very odd. Can you just describe what projected blood stains are and how they inform what happened? Well, projected blood stains are uh, usually referred to uh, as stains that are produced by blood being forced out of the body by pressure. And that generally indicates an artery, a large artery, small artery. And patterns of that sort can look different uh, depending upon how, how high the blood pressure is and how, uh, how long its blood pressure is decreasing. Stuart and I are looking closely at the photos particularly the puzzling blood stains, about two feet up the wall. What are those patterns on the wall telling you? Now that you've seen the, the position of the body and you've also walked the crime scene. The patterns of projected blood do not represent the moment of gunshot. It's a subsequent bleeding from the wound. You can see that a couple of those are oval shaped large volume stains, so the, the volume of blood was too much to be just sticking to the wall. So? That is not gunshot spatter whatsoever, it's all. This isn't? No, it's not gunshot spatter, that's blood coming out after the gunshot. Most likely from the entrance wound, but you can't rule out the possibility of coming out of her mouth. If her mouth is filling up with blood, she's trying to breathe. I can't rule that out altogether. Do you have any idea how long she would have been alive? No, I can't determine that. But it went straight through the brain. Yeah, oh yeah. This is what trips everybody up, is that the blood spatter on the wall is all at a chair rail and below, which is you know two and a half feet. She gets shot, her head turns around, and she's falling, and then the blood spurts out. Does the, the wall stain suggest that she was spun around after she was shot? Well, to what degree of spinning, I, I believe she could have easily, you know, turned quickly, spun in order to face that direction. So that's a reasonable conclusion. I mean, it wasn't that far away. I mean, it was a, not a real large space between the wall and the bed. 
So they were within an arm's length of each other. I would say that's a reasonable determination, right. You had mentioned the comforter. Let's take a look at that. Now the comforter has some small uh, projected stains and it's right in the same area where the, the drip trail terminates. I think she was stumbling because she had to move a little bit to get over there. But that's all post-shooting. Would that mean anything? Not very much, uh, just that she was standing close to the bed. She was more upright and bleeding and eventually started to go down toward the west and then eventually falling down to the floor. So, what conclusions can we draw from the bloodstains on the furniture and the walls in the ward bedroom? For one, they offer further evidence that Diane and Bob were very close to each other when she was shot. Also, it appears that Diane moved around the area between the bed and the wall after she was wounded. She bled on the comforter, all over the floor, and then eventually in a hunched over position by the wall. But beyond that, it's what the bloodstains in the room don't prove for certain. From your overview of the facts, do you think this was an accident or a murder? I really can't say. I mean, the bloodstain patterns did not give the advantage of making that distinction. So I don't know. During the trial of Bob Ward, the prosecution put forth a compelling narrative of Diane Ward's murder. It's a story of an alcohol-infused argument that escalated from the downstairs patio to the master bedroom. Prosecutors claimed that Bob laid down in his bed with his t-shirt soaked in the wine his wife had thrown at him. When Diane continued to confront Bob, he reached towards the nightstand, grabbed his gun, and shot his wife at point-blank range. Her death was described by the prosecution in the courtroom in a dramatic fashion, almost like a Hollywood-style execution, with Diane's body falling immediately backwards and down to the ground. But the blood evidence, at least as defense expert Stuart James describes it, appears to show something much messier and also much more ambiguous. We asked Chief Medical Examiner Joshua Stephanie for his take. Now, in this case, there was blood on the wall to the right of where Diane fell, and there was blood over her right shoulder, and small droplets were on the bed. That's sort of a 90-degree angle. Did you make any assessments about that? It was a penetrating gunshot wound without an exit wound in the back of the head, meaning there was a projectile there. It could account for her somehow moving at the time she was shot and blood coming out. Based on the blood, but is there any way for you to know what happened right before the gun went off? Not really. That strikes me as a pretty frank admission from the medical examiner. Because at the trial, again, the prosecution told a story of a clean execution-style murder, and they used Dr. Stephanie's testimony about the blood in the room to bolster their case. But it's clear now that the blood evidence didn't necessarily show that. In fact, the blood in the room could just as easily have resulted from a different kind of encounter. We asked prosecutor Robin Wilkinson for her opinion. Is it then impossible for you really to determine whether or not this was a struggle that caused the shooting or a homicide? I'm not really sure how blood splatter would have revealed a struggle because when she was shot, she was going down. I mean, that wasn't 
a gunshot wound you're going to survive from. It goes directly into your brain. So she was going down. So it's not going to show any further evidence of it. It's an arterial spurt that the blood's coming out, and that's why it's sprayed up against the wall. But that's not going to show a struggle. The defense would argue that Robin is making their point for them. Just because the blood evidence doesn't point to a struggle specifically doesn't mean a struggle didn't happen. The version of events the defense put forward goes something like this. That night, the two had a drink on the patio. Bob went upstairs and was emptying his pockets into his nightstand and preparing for bed. When Diane came up behind him and surprised him with a gun, a struggle ensued and the gun went off. It is truly a toss-up as to what happened. That's defense attorney Jim Feldman again. It doesn't square with common sense to suggest that someone is so enraged that they're going to commit a murder, but they begin their attack by lying down in their bed. She was the aggressor downstairs. I think that it's just as reasonable to expect that she's still the aggressor here. Mr. Ward is lying down in his bed, and she goes and finds him there and confronts him there and gets the gun out of his nightstand. They fought over it or struggled over it, and the gun goes off. By the way, they never articulated what they thought happened anywhere. This whole optional scenarios I'm talking to you about, about things that might have happened, are things they never got into. Because they couldn't, because none of it ever would have added up for them. Could the death of Diane Ward indeed be the result of a tragic accident? Perhaps. But the prosecution argues there is another element here one that is far more damning than any of the physical evidence in the room. It's the lack of blood on Bob himself and what that says about him. There is no physical evidence of a husband being distraught and like grabbing his wife who's down on the ground and transferring blood to the front of his shirt. There's none of that. That just boggled my mind and I'm sure it would the jury. If this was some tragic accident, wouldn't he have tried to look for a pulse? Wouldn't he have tried to grab her? Wouldn't he have tried to do something? Bob has these little drops of blood on his shorts and on his shoes. There's nothing on him to show he's reacted anyway. There was no evidence at all or suggestion that he was A, trying to help her, B, concerned in any way about her health or her current state. All of those things, monumentally inconsistent with an accident or suicide. Think about that. That is a, to my eye, devastating but misleading and false portrayal of Mr. Ward. The man's in trauma. I don't know how I would act. I don't know how, I don't think any of us really know how we would act under those circumstances. So as far as discussing the actual struggle that occurred between Bob and Diane that led to the gun discharging and hitting Diane. It's really fascinating to hear people try to deconstruct and theorize about what happened because there are so many variables that we just don't know and can't say how those variables would have impacted either of their movements for certain. Yeah. I mean, talking about the blood evidence, for example, if you try to pick apart the blood evidence you just don't know what was going on. You know, when somebody's shot, 
either by their own hand or another, the nuance in movements and people's reactions, especially when there's alcohol involved, it makes it very difficult to theorize with any real accuracy. Yeah. And, you know, I think the prosecution was focusing on the lack of blood on Bob as being the fact that he was far away from her. But if you do that experiment of, you know, 20 inches away and how much blood, you're going to get different stuff all the time as far as, you know, how much blood is going to be on on someone. I think the blood evidence shows that the shot itself didn't create that much blood at the scene. The actual impact of the bullet, where the blood came from, was Diane's bleeding after she had been shot, right? And a lot was made of the blood patterns on the walls and things like that. And we just can't begin to understand how quickly she would have succumbed to her injuries, the MEs. Dr. Stephanie couldn't say for sure. No one can say. No one was there. And unfortunately, there was a lot of alcohol involved as well. So hyper-focusing on every little detail as far as what's presented in the blood evidence is kind of moot because so much could have happened and there's so much nuance in these really chaotic, tragic scenarios as they unfold. Well, I think what the prosecution was really latching on the fact that he didn't have any blood on him, so that meant that he didn't even attempt to render aid to her. They were trying to paint this picture of Diane dying on the floor, and he doesn't even try to help her. And he says, I knew she was dead right away. Right. And I think you do have to question it and also wonder how one would respond in a situation like that. And what have people done in similar cases? I think that's a fair thing to take a look at. There was tons of shock involved. There was alcohol involved. And also, you know, the horror of what you're seeing and the trauma. So I don't know. It's hard to make determinations about how people act when their fight or flight is engaged. To us, the blood evidence on Bob and Diane in the room remains inconclusive. But let's grant the prosecution their case for a cold-blooded murder for one second and ask a simple question. Was Diane about to expose a big secret? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Picture yourself alone in the middle of nowhere, and there's somebody following you. 
he went on his way, we so thought, and then we went on ours. But in reality, he really followed us up there. On Deadly Nightmares, the true crime podcast from ID, listen to real stories of ordinary people stalked by serial killers and attackers. Please, tell me we're not going to die. Listen to Deadly Nightmares on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from, obviously, their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, what do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response, and after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash unraveled. That's storyworth.com slash unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase. So looking at any murder case, you always think about motives. We're speaking to prosecutor Ken Lewis again about the Bob Ward case. What were you seeing as the motive? I didn't believe that this was all thought out, that Bob had some great motive at all here, other than uh, not being able to control his temper. I mean, that's, that's really how I saw it. You could speculate as to a million things, you know, the stressors, maybe the marriage wasn't so, so strong, all those things. But, you know, those things exist in every relationship and people don't wind up dead. So uh, I, I didn't give any of the additional motives great weight. And remember, if you have a proof of motive, then you generally have premeditation and then you generally are charging with a first degree murder. So this is a second degree murder. So there was no motive and we don't have to prove motive in, in a secondary murder case. The prosecutors didn't believe motive was important in the murder trial of Bob Ward. In order to win, they didn't have to. They didn't need to prove that a motive existed at all. But that didn't stop them from trying. If you recall from episode three, Bob Ward's formerly thriving real estate business was in tatters after the 2008 crisis. He had declared bankruptcy and was grasping for any way to stay afloat financially. For the prosecution, this was the dire situation from which Bob's motivation for murder arose. Here's prosecutor Robin Wilkinson. What did you learn of the financial stressors the family was facing? Bob's land resource and the conglomerate of companies he had was in bankruptcy. Bob had transferred a lot of his assets to Diane. Bob and Diane moved to Florida, 
We have stronger homestead laws here than perhaps Georgia does. They were trying to protect themselves from the bankruptcy going after the family's resources. They hadn't paid the mortgage in a long time. The house was going to go in foreclosure. So a lot was going on. That very week, I don't remember what exact day it was, there was a deposition in the bankruptcy in which Diane was supposed to attend. And I think that put the family under a lot of pressure. And as far as Diane's deposition that she was slated to give, do you understand what the stakes were of that deposition? I believe there is going to be a lot of pointed questions asked where assets went. There were assets that were missing from the company. And then some of the things he had done with his personal finances to protect what they could go after. The bankruptcy lawyer testified about the deposition coming up and testified about them wanting to get out of it. Now, when we don't have to prove motive, but people want to know what happened. People want to know why. So you have to give the jury a backdrop of what's going on in the family of why someone would end up killing their wife. Is it possible that Bob Ward murdered his wife to remove her from a damaging deposition? To a member of a jury, there's a simplicity to such an idea that lends it merit. All Bob needed was his wife out of the picture and he could keep his millions. But Bob Ward's bankruptcy attorney, Liz Green, says that hypothesis couldn't be further from the truth. That somehow Diane had some top secret information that was going to come out that would basically ruin Bob is sort of a myth that's, I don't know where it came from, but that's sort of the myth that's out there in that, you know, he needed money and so that he would be, you know, better off with Diane dead, which is exactly the opposite, by the way. According to Liz, Bob Ward had already paid $15.6 million worth of bills to creditors by selling off his assets. On top of that, a large portion of his remaining money was protected by something known in the legal world as tenants by the entireties. So tenants by the entireties is a form of ownership and it's an exemption from creditors. And so basically, if you're married and you acquire property during your marriage, that property is presumed to be held in what's called tenants by the entirety, meaning it belongs to both of you jointly and it can't be severed. And so what that means in terms of the personal property is if somebody got a judgment against a husband, and there were a bunch of antiques in the house that were bought jointly while they were married, those would not be um, subject to the claims of creditors because it would only be a judgment against the husband and not um, against both of them jointly. Same applies in Florida for cash and bank accounts. One creditor of just one of the spouses cannot garnish or obtain the money being held in those accounts. The truth is, Bob Ward's assets were actually protected because he was married. And here's the kicker. If one of the spouses is no longer living, then the tenants by the entirety exemption doesn't apply. Strikingly, the law would seem to demonstrate that in order to remain solvent, Bob needed his wife alive. Basically, everything was tied up in my mom's name. So if she were to die first, it screwed everything up for the entire family. So my dad had the opposite of a motive. On top of 
physical evidence proving that he didn't do anything. But it doesn't end there. The prosecution counters that Bob may have acquired his property illegally, in which case this legal exemption would be null and void. I know that there was a belief that there was money in the Caymans. Whether or not they ever really proved that, there certainly wasn't proof of that at the time of the trial, although there were a lot of questions. So as far as money as a whole and how it contributed to Diane's death, is there any assessment you can make? I just believe it was a lot of pressure for the family to go through and it erupted into a fight, which it did deadly. I think it was a perfect storm of everything going on in their life and it erupts into an argument that goes bad, which is why it was charged with second and not first. But you're not arguing that this was a planned thing. You're arguing- It wasn't planned at all. I believe there was an argument. He went upstairs and she followed him and he shot her. I don't believe he planned to shoot her so she wouldn't go to the deposition. And we didn't argue that at all. And, and we really tried to say, we can't prove to you motive, but let's talk about what was going on with the family. And then there's the question that's on everyone's mind in a case like this. Did Diane have a life insurance policy? Did the subject of life insurance policies ever come up? It did come up. I heard later they weren't paid on it. I don't, but I think that took a process of time. During the trial, a lot of muddy information about life insurance was also introduced. To sum it up, essentially, both Diane and Bob had policies, and due to an oversight in Bob's office, Diane's policy wasn't renewed. On top of that, it was Bob who had a much larger policy, 20 million to be exact. None of this would seem to point to Bob's guilt, but nevertheless, it was a topic at the trial. So much of Bob's wealth was tied up in properties that were held together with Diane as tenants by the entireties and could not be reached by Bob's creditors because they weren't Diane's creditors. And so the state was stuck with that. And the way that they tried to undo that was to suggest without factual basis, that there was some huge life insurance policy on Diane's life that Bob would stand to collect if Diane died. There was no basis for that question. After the objection to it was sustained, the prosecutor went back and even asked more questions that was intended to nevertheless suggest that that policy does exist, and the defense knows it and they're hiding that from you. I thought that's what those follow-up questions were intended to try to convey. And of course, it wasn't true. There was no such policy. It may have misled the jury into thinking, wow, this guy had a financial reason to want her dead. So there's a complete disconnect between the state's effort to prove that he somehow had a reason to want her dead in a case where it wasn't even about trying to prove that he intentionally, with some sort of premeditation or planning, killed her, because that's not what happened by any view of the evidence. If Bob had a motive for murdering his wife, it remains unclear. So unclear that some people have speculated that it was the other way around. Bob Ward had a $20 million life insurance policy. Could it be that Diane was planning a murder-suicide? Next time on Unraveled, 
mystery at the mansion. I knew my mom was upset about losing the company. She loved the money. She loved the horses. She loved the nice cars. The anger was breathtaking. I had never experienced anything like it. Her drinking wasn't the problem. It was the medication she was taking. There was a decision made at some point. The stomach contents were all thrown away. Do you see that as a problem? No. We had like three conversations that day. She didn't put her words. She sounded perfectly fine. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagia Messina, and Jeff Kuntz, along with myself, Alexis Linkletter, and Billy Jensen. Executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing by Mike Gattinella. Our editor is Corey Nye. The music and score that you've heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. Make sure to check for episode six next week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcasts that you enjoy. Thank you for listening and for your support. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.